You know kids love to play every chance they get, but did you know that developmentally there's a type of play they need to engage in every single day? In today's episode, you'll learn about the type of play young children need, why they need it, how much of it they need per day, and most importantly for you, I know, you'll hear examples and specific ideas for how you can set up opportunities for your children to truly have access to the type of play they need. Let's get started. Hi, welcome. You're listening to the Emotional Inheritance of Parenting Show, your podcast for raising children with love, mindfulness, and emotional presence. My name is Karemi. I'm a certified conscious parenting coach and a mother, and it's a pleasure to have you join. I'm sure you want your children to develop healthy, physically and mentally, and that you do everything you can to ensure that you provide them with the environment to promote their physical, mental and emotional health. But did you know that to promote their healthy development in terms of cognitive development, physical development, social development, emotional development and social skills, creativity, resilience, cooperation, you don't need to stress about the best school or the best form of organized sport or art class or dance class or music class or science class. Sure, exposing our children to different things in life, different activities can help them know about what's out there in the world, right? And what they're interested in and whether or not they'd like to pursue an interest further. Yes, exposing our children to different things that are available in life is great. But overscheduling is a different matter. There's a difference between exposing our children to different activities and overscheduling them and having them on a tight schedule, especially if they already go to school, which is heavily scheduled. Let me just say that one of the key developmental needs of childhood, particularly early childhood, is this unstructured, independent, imaginative play. And this, my fellow parents, can be not only 100% free, but also one of the biggest gifts you can give your children, to give them the time to engage in unstructured, independent, imaginative play. Don't take my word for it. Albert Einstein is famously quoted for saying, quote, play is the highest form of research, end quote. The Harvard University Center on the Developing Child states, Quote, the science of child development points to three core principles that can guide what society needs to do to help children and families thrive. One, support responsive relationships. Two, strengthen core life skills. Three, reduce sources of stress. Play is an effective way of supporting all three. End quote. Dr. Laura Markham, clinical psychologist trained at Columbia University who uses proven science and child development research to educate parents and families, she describes that, quote, I am a big fan of independent play. Play is children's work. It's how they understand the world. It's how they process their feelings. It's how they learn. Pretend play is how they learn to manage their emotions and all kinds of play that children choose to do for themselves. There's a reason they're doing it. It's about their development, end quote. 
You might be thinking, yeah, yeah, but what about all that that is out there to learn and expose them to and get them ready for in life? How will they succeed if they don't learn about music early on, sports, dance, science, learn a new language, all of this early on when their brains are most absorbent? If you're thinking this, I get it. I really do. I get that you might feel pressured to have your child learn early on about tons of different areas of learning, because after all, that's what's getting pushed by culture, that children need to always be learning, acquiring skills, gaining knowledge, get a head start on academics, learn to hold that pencil and write neatly, be ahead of the game. My goodness, it's exhausting just saying it. We see it in toys at the stores. Toys which used to be about playing are now marketed heavily as tools for knowledge acquisition and development of gross motor skills, fine motor skills, and early academic skills. Many, if not most of them, at least here in the United States, now say on the front of the box in small writing, things such as fosters early brain development, development of fine motor skills, early counting and reading skills, early education toy, Toy presents early concepts around number and shapes. Why is a toy not good enough for the mere fact that a child can use it in innumerable ways to have fun and use their imagination and play? There's this intense focus on ensuring that children are learning academic skills and that even during their play, they learn in a way that will prepare them for the rigors of school and the rigors of life. I understand all that pressure that we face every day, that children be ready for that next stage in their development, for them to have knowledge about this and that. We face this pressure from the media, from schools now as early as preschool and kindergarten, from culture as a whole, and sometimes from other well-intentioned parents and family. We might get comments such as, do you have your baby enrolled in a class? You can enroll little Timmy in soccer as early as three years of age, you know. It's good for little ones, so they learn turn-taking, gross motor skills, cooperation, teamwork, and to follow rules. I mean, the list of well-intentioned yet, frankly, uninformed comments goes on and on. Now, again, I'm not saying that enrolling our children in organized sports or a dance class or a music class is wrong. Not at all. But it is important to take the age into account, to take into account the amount of time they're engaging in these forms of adult-led, structured forms of play or other forms of learning, especially if they're already in school, and to take into account whether this activity we've enrolled them in is aligned with an interest they've shown or with our vision of what we would like them to do. These are all important considerations. Why? What's the alternative? Play is the alternative to all of this racing toward excellence, all this scheduling on steroids, specifically what our children need, especially in the early years of zero to seven, is unstructured, independent, imaginative play. World-renowned astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson says that parents constantly ask him, what can I do to get my kids interested in science? And that he responds, They're already interested in science. You're the one who's the problem. And he says this referring to how much we as adults discourage children from freely playing and exploring, be it with food, with water, with different things around the house, with gravity as they let something drop on the floor, 
we forget how much learning happens through play. And that play in itself is worthy of being in our children's lives for the mere fact that it's their developmental need, not just as a means to an end, meaning not just seeing play as valuable because children learn this or that from play, but because it's highly necessary for children's optimal overall development. I want to share with you a quote from Dr. Shafali Sabari's book, The Conscious Parent. I've mentioned her before in the podcast. It's in her Conscious Coaching Institute that I received my certification as a conscious parenting coach. She's a world-renowned clinical psychologist and author of best-selling parenting books. And Dr. Shafali describes, quote, The years from birth to age six are especially a time when children don't need to be thinking about soaring to life's heights, but instead need the leisure to flap their wings around in play and exploration, with lots of space for rest and simply doing nothing. These are the years in which our children can be allowed the delight of getting to know who they are. It's a time to master small tasks, reach for tiny goals, the most important of which involve exploring and enjoying their own body and spirit. They need to be allowed hour upon hour of idle play, dates with buddies, walks in the park, or rides along the beach. They need uninterrupted hours of twiddling their thumbs, painting nothing in particular, kneading dough, playing with sand, crumbling paper, pretending to be kings, queens, and dragons. They need to be permitted hours to stomp in their room and make mistakes. They need the time, freedom, and absolute permission to follow their heart. This is a period in our children's lives when our children get to sow a variety of seeds and see which take root and eventually bear luscious fruit. This is so much more fulfilling for a child than having the parent plant a single tree, then inject it with steroids so that it bears barrels of tasteless fruit. Beyond the age of six, and especially as they reach seven and eight, our children begin to develop mentally in a way that marks a major shift from the years of relaxed play. As thought increasingly kicks in, their life becomes more complicated. When things begin to happen, we can help them tremendously by introducing them to the importance of periods of stillness in their life, during which they make sense of their experiences, feelings, and circumstances. End quote. So as you can see, unstructured, independent, imaginative play is critical for young children. This form of play is not just beneficial, it's therapeutic to the degree that play therapy was created. Play therapy is a way in which therapists help children understand their emotions, gain insight about resolving conflicts, they learn self-control, self-respect, to express their feelings, problem-solving, communication skills. These are all qualities and skills that are naturally embedded in the social play, the independent, unstructured, imaginative play that children are so naturally drawn to already without adult interference or adults leading the play. We just need to make space and time for it without feeling guilty that perhaps we're not offering them a head start on early learning, early academics, a competitive edge on sports, among other pressures that we've been misled to believe are necessary for young children. 
Dr. Peter Gray, a research professor at Boston College who has conducted and published research in neuroendocrinology, developmental psychology, anthropology, and education, his research and many of his articles focus on the role of play in human evolution and how children educate themselves through play and exploration when they are free to engage deeply in play. You know how I said in the beginning of the episode that I was going to share with you not just the type of play young children need, but also how much of it they need per day? Well, here it is. How much independent, unstructured, imaginative play do young children need per day? As much as you can possibly allow. (laughs) Hours and hours if possible. The more, the better. Why? Because in order to really benefit from play, Children need to be able to immerse themselves in it, to engage in deep play. This form of play, unstructured, independent, imaginative play, especially when children play with children not just of their same age, but of different ages, offers children the opportunity to develop friendships, to learn from older children, and to help out younger children. It allows them to learn to take risks, which is important, to assess their abilities, their strengths. They learn to jump, climb, explore. Through imaginative play, children create their own worlds. I'm sure you've seen this with your kids. With a towel that becomes a cape or a blanket or a curtain. With Legos or blocks that can be built to create all kinds of structures. They learn about gravity, about physics as they build their structures. They express their thoughts, dreams, their interests, their curiosities, their feelings through the pretend play with their dolls or their toys. They process what's going on in their minds. They develop their physical bodies by climbing, jumping, or simply sliding across the floor like snakes. They're in touch with their bodies, and they know when they need to move and stretch. They express themselves through singing, splashing paint in water, which is so inconvenient for us, I know. But they splash the paint, they splash the water, they dance. They learn social skills by inventing their own games with other children and their own rules, and then disagreeing and figuring out how to keep playing because they all want to have fun. As Dr. Tina Bryson, co-author with Dr. Daniel Siegel of several best-selling parenting books based on brain development, as she describes, quote, when children feel frustration in play or they don't get their way, they tend to tolerate those negative emotions longer because it's fun or interesting. Playing with others also helps children learn to tolerate frustration and disappointment. It's worth it to them to keep going, so it builds resilience. Play develops our capacity to have better self-regulation. If a child plays in ways that alienate others, there is an instinct to work it out, because otherwise the child misses out on all the fun. Thinking about how someone is thinking and feeling really first starts to happen during play. It is the foundation of empathy and is very powerful, end quote. You get where I'm going with this. Play is not just fun. Play is not a reward for finishing homework. Play is not just for weekends. Play is not a privilege. Play is a childhood developmental need. As parents, we need to protect play. Make the time for it in our children's lives, no matter how much they beg us for the iPad, the TV, the phone, for the games. They need us to give them what they need, not always what they want. 
Does this mean more messiness around the house, more noise in the house, more arguments between siblings as they negotiate their play? Absolutely, this is what it's going to mean. It isn't convenient for us. Absolutely not. But let's try to remember that we're offering them something they need. Perhaps in reminding ourselves of this, we'll be able to make more time for it. I know many of you, if not all of you, have very busy schedules, work to juggle, errands to run every week. And perhaps having our children in supervised, adult-led, structured forms of play or organized sports or dance classes, etc. is a way you have found to have your children's needs for socialization be met, their need to be safely cared for while you're working or busy taking care of other things in your life, while your children acquire a new athletic or artistic or a cognitive skill. I'm not here to criticize your decisions, not at all. I do want to offer you this knowledge so you can make informed decisions about play, about the type of play your young child needs for his or her development, and to offer you perhaps a sigh of relief and for you to give yourself as a parent the full permission to feel completely relaxed in the fact that brain development, child development, developmental psychology all point to the invaluable gift and necessity for children to engage in unstructured, independent, imaginative play. Now for the examples and specific ideas for how you can set up opportunities for young children to play, to have access to the type of play they need. For every family, the circumstances are going to be a little different in terms of spacing your home for your children to play, in terms of your family's schedule, in terms of outside space for your kids to run and jump and climb, etc. But as far as ideas you can adopt for your children to play independently, using their imagination and for them to play based on what comes up for them, meaning unstructured play, perhaps the first thing to keep in mind is that you don't need to give them ideas for what to play or how to play. Believe me, they have endless ideas if they are just allowed the time to come up with them. They may not show them at first, especially if they've gotten used to having a lot of screen time, but it will come to them as you replace some of that screen time with play. They may say, I'm bored. (laughs) Don't worry. There's nothing wrong with being bored. It's actually the start to creativity and ideas for what to do. For more benefits of boredom and how you can make the most of it, check out episode four. I go deeply into that in that episode. So here are a few things that you can do to promote to facilitate independent play, unstructured, imaginative play. First, make time for it. Set an area in your home for your children to play. It doesn't have to be a playroom. If you do have space for that, that's awesome. You're lucky. It doesn't have to be a playroom. It can be a small section in the living room or next to the kitchen where your kids keep some open-ended play materials or in their room. Usually with young children, though, it's nice to have some space close to the kitchen or to the common areas of the house, just because when they're young, they love to play close to us. They like to know that we're close by if they need us. So even though it's good to have things in their room, I would recommend have some open-ended play materials close to where you are most often when you're at home, and it's usually the kitchen. So you want to have some toys that promote your children's play not toys that play for your children, such as those with buttons that light up and then sing and talk to your kids. They may be promoted as educational. Don't 
necessarily think that that's what's going to happen. Actually, what happens is they entertain them for a few t- for a few days, maybe a few weeks at most, and then they leave them, right? So you want toys that your child can play with, that your child can play with in so many different ways, not toys that play for your child. Those types of toys are very specific to one type of use. So there's also no need for fancy toys, just some basic items. You want toys such as wooden blocks, Legos, pretend food, uh, paper towel rolls that can be pretend binoculars or pretend tunnels for small cars, uh, small and medium containers that can serve as an imaginary pool or a big bowl or a hat, uh, sticks, cardboard boxes, scarves that can be capes, blankets, curtains, uh, some toy characters that can serve for other forms of imaginative play, a ball, some sensory materials if you can, such as Play-Doh, some kinetic sand. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's great for, you know, your children really doing that sensory play with their hands. Uh, Rice, rocks, some art supplies if you can to promote other forms of artistic expression and imagination, such as markers, crayons, colored pencils, You can also offer them picture books to learn about characters and stories, nature, animals, to learn about feelings, and then just see what they come up with, see what they do, what they build, what they invent. Ideally, try not to interrupt their play unless you need to for safety reasons or if they invite you to play with them and you can with them for a few, say for 30 minutes, but mostly let them immerse themselves in their world of play. Lastly, whether or not your child has siblings, it's highly recommended that children not just play with children of their exact same age. They're developmentally in the same age. For example, having a bunch of three-year-olds in a sandbox or in a play date at a friend's house is not necessarily a bad idea. They they, they are going to enjoy playing, but it's not going to be too conducive to play among the kids. For sure, kids will play. But when you have older children and younger children together in the mix, the dynamic is very different. Older children can exercise their leadership skills and guide or help out the younger ones. The younger ones learn from the older ones. Sometimes, I'm sure you've seen something similar, you can see a little four-year-old helping a toddler to walk, or a six-year-old helping a four-year-old understand the rules of a game they all just came up with. Sure, there will be arguments and disagreements, and someone will fall, but... As long as safety is not an issue, you can rest assured that children are benefiting most from engaging with children of different ages. It's only in modern society, really, that we have invented this unnatural segmentation of ages in classrooms. In the real world, we engage with people of all ages all the time. At your job, I'm sure you don't just work with adults of your exact age, right? In college, you engage with other people, other young people in their late teens, early to mid-20s. Same with childhood. There's no need for children to only play with children of their exact age age. And a lot of research backs this up, but I'm not going to go into the details of that. Multi-age play groups are not just fun. They're very much reflective of the real world in terms of learning and play. So feel free to allow for that as well, as much as possible. Last word of advice for promoting independent, imaginative, unstructured play. Try not to have the TV on in the background. Otherwise, kids will be distracted and they're going to be attracted to the fast-paced, scene-changing movie or shows or news. It doesn't allow for children to immerse themselves in imaginative, creative play. 
And remember, give yourself the full permission to not schedule your kids at this early age in any activities during early childhood. They don't need them. If they show interest in something and they ask to learn more, go for it. But please know it's not a necessity for their optimal development. My challenge to you for this week, if you'd like to take it, is to commit to allowing for at least 30 minutes to an hour of full-on, uninterrupted, unstructured, imaginative play. You can do this. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll be here next week.